Last week, we started a brand new series that we're calling Relation Slips. And let me clarify, this is not a marriage series. So I know for some of you singles in here, you're like, dang, why did I come to this one, (laughs) right? Um, This is not a marriage series. It's simply a relationship series because how many of you know people can be difficult? People can be hard, people get offended, and that's actually what we talked about last week. We talked about offense, like how do we deal with offense when people have greatly offended us? What I want to talk about this morning is regardless of where you're at in your life, this is going to be something that affects you. So show of hands, how many of you have ever done something that you regret? How many of you have ever been in the middle of a conversation saying words that you wish that you could take them back in that moment? Um, It's a a little thing that we like to call, how many of you guys have a past? We all have a past, so we can all look at particular things that we have done, things that we've taken part of, things that we have said, and we have regrets. We can look back and we look at our past and go, man, why did I do that? But here's the problem with our past. Oftentimes, we don't even realize it, but the things that we have done in our past are still affecting us right now. And the things that we have in our past are actually hindering us from having the types of relationships that God desires us to have. We're never going to truly know a true intimate relationship with others and with Jesus until we can move past our past. So here's what I said um, in the first service, and I'll say this throughout the rest of the message. Until you let your past die, it will not let you live. Until you let your past die, it will not let you live. So I want to dive right into the scriptures this morning. It's a very popular passage, but I want to take it and kind of put a different spin on it. So Ephesians 4, verse 22 through 24, it says this, to put off your old self. So it's this idea. Most of us have come to this this realization that, okay, Jesus has saved me so we can set the past aside. It says, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, here's the problem with the scripture. As we look at this, and we go, yes, God has made me a new creation, so I can just leave the past in the past, but what happens when you don't forget about the past? (laughs) Have you ever heard that line of just forgive and forget? How many know that's a ginormous lie? (laughs) Because here's the truth, there's things that have happened to you, even though you understand that God has forgiven you, that God has redeemed you, but there's a problem. You still can't move on because it's still affecting you. Now, why is that? Uh, Pete Scazzaro had this quote, and I thought it was so good. He said this, Christ may be in your heart, but grandpa is still in your bones. (laughs) Christ may be in your heart, but grandpa is still in your bones. And here's what this means. I don't think many of us realize how much our childhood is affecting us right now. You ever have something when you were a kid that your parents said something to you and you said, I will never say that to my kids and now you find yourself saying it to them? So my dad had this line growing up that he would say to us all the time, and every time he would say it, it would drive me insane. And I remember making a conscious decision, when I have kids, I will never say that. And every time you would skid your knee, bump your elbow or something, you'd come to him crying like, Dad, I'm bleeding. He said, son, you'll get well before you get married. I'm just like, what, what does that even mean? And here's what's crazy. I have kids now, and they'll come to me, and I say the same thing to them. 
I noticed um, when my mom gets nervous, she does this thing with her fingers. My mom's a classically trained pianist, and she's really good at it. And so when she gets nervous, she's like playing air piano with her fingers. And I remember observing it and watching it and going, that's really weird. About a year ago, I found myself in a pretty anxious situation, and I found myself doing this. It's like, oh my God, I'm my mother. But have you ever done things in your life and you realize, oh my goodness, I am doing things that my parents did or my grandfather did or certain things that I said that I would never say it's coming to affect me. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. Most of us are unaware of how much our upbringing has affected us because there were certain things in our upbringing that we did not have control over. So here's the truth. You did not control the parents that you were given right? You were, you were just born. You did not control the environment that you grew up in. Many of you did not control the neighborhood that you grew up. You didn't control the school that you went to. And here's what's happened in our past in growing up. We were handed this negative script, this negative script of life that we were given. Maybe it was the circumstances that we grew up into. Maybe it was a certain uncertainty that we grew up with in our past. And we don't even realize it, but we're living our lives out of this negative script. So let me show you what this kind of plays out to be like. And I'll give you an example. So maybe growing up, your life was completely out of control. Maybe there was no certainty growing up. Maybe your parents weren't really there. Maybe it was just always chaos in your home. And so here's what happens. Because you have that pain in your past, you flip to be the complete opposite, and now people today call you a control freak. Now, why do people call you a control freak? Well, because you're living out of a wound because everything in your childhood and in your past is completely out of control, so now you feel like you have to control it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So we don't really realize oftentimes how much... Our past is affecting our present. The wounds from our past are often shaping the way that we think, the way that we interact, and here's the problem. It also affects the way that we interact with God and the other people around us. So if we don't deal with our past, here's what's going to happen. It's going to affect our marriage. It's going to affect our relationship with our kids. It's going to affect our friends because we're living out of this distorted view. So to help me further explain this, I found a few quotes, and this is Augustine. He, he put it this way. He said, how can you draw close to God when you are so far from your own self? So, so what does this mean? If you are not self-aware of what's going on in your own life and in your own heart and the things that are greatly affecting you, how can you ever draw close to God as you ought to? Eckhart put it this way. He said, no one can know God who does not first know himself. St. Teresa put it this way, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. And here's the tragedy, many of us go to our graves not ever knowing who we really are. And some of us can find ourselves in certain seasons of our life right now going, who am I? I remember going through that in probably about 25, 26, 27 years old. It was about a three-year span in my life of just trying to figure out, who am I? And a lot of it was wounds that I grew up with and people that I allowed to speak into my life and things that I believed and I was allowing other people to define who I was supposed to be. Most of us are unconsciously living a life that somebody else wants us to live and we're not living the life that we want to live. You ever find yourself living out of other people's approval for you? 
You ever find yourself making decisions that you never would have made, but you just want somebody to say good job? (laughs) Or you just want somebody to approve of you? Oftentimes, those are wounds that we're living out of. Because maybe as a child, you never had anybody encourage you. You never had anybody build you up. Therefore, now today, you, you find yourself seeking and craving attention. If we're not careful, our, our present day is going to be consistently robbed by our past if we don't deal with it. So this is going to be a little difficult this morning. It's going to be painful. It's going to dive into some of the cracks of your soul, some of the things that you have pushed down for a long time. But here's what I would say to you. If you would allow God to start the process of dealing with some of the wounds of your past, I can guarantee you this, that it will change your present. And ultimately, it will shape your future. Now, as I read that scripture in Ephesians, we understand as Christians that God has redeemed us and forgiven us of our past. But we also know that we don't forget about the decisions that we've made. So when I was in art class, they taught us that... um, Whenever you sketch on a paper that you're supposed to sketch lightly, that you don't press too hard on the paper. Because if you press too hard on the paper, you leave what they call a ghost line on the paper. A ghost line is whenever you realize you've made a mistake and you have to go race the pencil mark and you can still see the indention on the paper. Now, this is what's happened to many of our souls. So we understand, well, God forgives me and God redeems me and therefore I can move forward, but I'm having a problem because I still have some indentions in my soul. I still have some things that are greatly affecting me. Like no matter how hard you try to erase it, you can still see the indention. No matter how hard you try to make it right, it's still there. So that's what I want to deal with this morning. How do we deal with the ghost lines? How do we deal with the things that constantly affect us today. If, if we were just to have a moment of brutal honesty, how many of you, show of hands, would say, I have things in my life that I know that God has forgiven me of, but they still affect me today? Anybody? Well, I think we all do. We all have these intentions in our soul, this, this great regret, this relationship that we got into that we wish we never would have got in, or this job that we took, or a decision that we made. So how do we get rid of the ghost lines? First, I want you to understand this, and Dr. Darius Daniels said this, and I thought it was so brilliant. He said, you can live with scars, but you cannot live with wounds. You can live with scars, but you cannot live with wounds. So God wants to come in to who you are as a person, and today he wants to start to heal some things, because here's the truth, if we're just honest. For many of us, there are things in our life where it is still this gaping, open wound, and the only way that we know how to do it is just to continually just stuff it down there. There's things that have happened to us that are too painful to even talk about, too painful to even acknowledge, too painful to even say, too painful to even think about. And for some of us, when we start to dive into those things, it hurts so much, we we just try to run away from it. But I want to encourage you today that those are the things that are greatly affecting your relationships today. That's what I want to talk about. How do we learn to remove the ghost lines of our past? So I want to give you four things this morning that will help you. Number one, learn to be compassionate with yourself. Now, in the church world, we talk about learning to be compassionate towards other people all the time. But here's the truth. Until you learn to love yourself, you will never love, learn to love others. 
you will never learn to love God as you ought to because you don't know how to love yourself. I'll even prove this to you in Scripture. Mark 12, verse 30, it says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he says the second is this. Watch this. Love your neighbor, what? As yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, I want you to understand these two things flow directly together. So here's what this scripture is saying. You can't love your neighbor. You can't love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength if you don't know how to love yourself. And here's the truth. The reason that many of us are so harsh with other people is because we don't love ourselves. Here's the truth. You are your worst enemy. (laughs) Because sometimes when you look at your past, nobody tears you down more than you do. Nobody looks at your own self and just like, man, I, am, I can't believe I did. What were you thinking? We have to learn to be compassionate towards ourselves. So how do we do this practically? Number one, I think you have to learn to let yourself be human. I know this is basic, but some of us have to be reminded of this. Like, listen, it's okay to be human, and it's okay to make a mistake. And I know that's counterintuitive to what most of us have heard growing up in the church. I don't know where we get off thinking, like sometimes we walk into a church and it's all of a sudden like we have to be perfect. Like we can't fail, we can't make a mistake. There's some things that some of us are still holding on to that were never even our fault, but we've taken the weight of it. Maybe something happened to you when you were a child. Maybe somebody took advantage of you. And I want you to understand something. Some things that have happened to you, God just wants to release you from the fact that that was not your fault. It was not your fault. But somehow the way that the enemy twists things, he makes us believe that sometimes the things that have happened to us because we are products of our environment or our home or our neighborhood, that somehow we take it on as, well, if I wouldn't have been there at that time or place, if I would have never said this, then this would have never happened. Listen, if somebody has done something to you, it's not your fault. And sometimes the victim takes on this mentality of, well, if I would have done things better. No, you were a victim. Somebody abused you. Somebody assaulted you. It's their fault not yours. Need to Breathe has this line that says, dance in the light of a lesson learned. See, that is what it truly means to learn to be human. That when you make a mistake, that you can look at it and say, what can I learn from this? And now let's move on. But the problem is, when we don't let ourselves off the hook so easily and we don't acknowledge the fact that we are human here's what we we look at it we go i made a mistake and i'm completely worthless and we start to break down everything that we could have done differently but the most mature people can look at it and say you know what I, i blew it epically blew it failed big time i need to acknowledge my mistake i need to accept the consequences that come on with that and then guess what i'm just gonna learn to never do that again and move forward The second thing, if we're going to learn to love ourselves, to be compassionate towards ourselves, is you have to understand that perfection is unattainable. Perfection is unattainable. Perfection is actually the enemy of anything healthy. Brene Brown puts it this way, and I thought this was so brilliant. She said, perfection is a 20-ton shield that we lug around thinking it will protect us when in fact it's the thing that is actually preventing us from taking flight. 
So many of us want to cast this ideal that we're perfect because we don't really want to let people in. <laughs> so she, she breaks down two different things. She says there's healthy striving and then there's perfectionism. Healthy striving is actually a good thing because healthy striving is where you look at yourself and go, yeah, there's definitely areas in my life where I can improve and get better. There's definitely areas in my life that I need to work on. And so we look at it and we realize, okay, I'm not perfect, but I'm getting there. I'm making some progress. But perfectionism is this dangerous thing where the only reason that you improve is because you want to project to other people that you're getting better. So the only reason that you get better, the only reason that you want to look better in front of other people is because you don't want other people to shame you, judge you, or offend you or talk about you or whatever. So you have to throw up this shield that doesn't let people in. The third thing we have to learn to do is set wise boundaries. Now, this one has changed my life over the past year. Because here's the thing. Anybody know somebody that they're, people talk so highly of them, they'll, they'll give you the shirt off their own back, they love people well, they'll go out of their way to serve everybody, but they fail to take care of themselves? And listen, here's the thing. If you're running around like Superman with a cape on, helping everybody else but failing to take care of yourself, you're never going to be the husband that you want to be. You'll never be the wife that you want to be. You'll never be the friend that you want to be because inside you're depleted. And so here's what I have had to learn over the last year. My favorite word has been this. No. And can I be honest with you? Sometimes people get offended by that. Sometimes people don't like it, especially because I'm a pastor. Hey, can you come here? Can you do this? No, I'm sorry, I can't. This week was busy. It was hard. I had all kinds of things going on. I would love to be there. But if I don't have a day to decompress, I'm just taking everything that's happened in that week, and I'm compiling it, and I'm going into the next week. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So, So here's what you have to learn to do. You have to learn to set boundaries in your life. You have to realize that you're human, that you're not a robot, and you can't just keep going. You're not the Energizer Bunny. (laughs) We run out of steam. We lose energy, and we need to do things that are going to help the, the things that we have depleted. And I want you to just remember this, that you cannot love God, and you cannot love others if you don't love yourself. So so what does this look like on a practical sense of setting those boundaries? It's looking at it and going, I have these five days or these six days where I work really hard, and then I have one day where I have to recharge. So what is it that refuels you? What is it that reignites your relationship with Jesus? Because here's the thing. If you are constantly in love with Jesus, you're going to serve your wife well, you're going to serve your husband well, you're going to serve your friends well, and you're going to know when you can say yes, and you're going to know when you have to say no. The second thing, if we're going to get past our past, is you have to know your triggers. Know your triggers. See, God has forgiven us of our past, but we all have these ghost lines, don't we? So let let me paint a picture for you. How many of you ever had just like an amazing week? You're like, man, I'm getting past the past. Like, God has just been so good to me. And then you drive in a car and somebody cuts you off and the old you comes right back out really quickly. No! <laughs> you, you show them the finger of appreciation, you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden, everything comes back up, it triggers you. Or maybe it's a conversation, like you're having an amazing week and then somebody says something to you 
and it just sets something off in your soul. And you, you let them know what you think about them. Anybody know what I'm talking? Am I the only one? Like, pray for me if, if so. But something triggers you, and it sets you off on a way that you used to be. What is that? Those are the ghost lines of our past. Those are the things that are still there, that are deeply imprinted in our soul, that we've kind of pushed down, kind of go, oh, God's forgiven me, and I'll just move on. And we've never really dealt with it. See, the ghost lines are all the emotional baggage that we've just stuffed down and ignored. But you can take heart and some courage that you will find in Romans 7, 17, that Paul has some ghost lines. And we read it in this. It says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Anybody ever feel like that? Like, this week is the week that I make some progress. This week is the week that I'm going to do this, and you don't do any of it. That's what Paul's saying. And then verse 22, watch this. He's so conflicted. He says, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. So let me show you how this has played out for me personally. So my entire life, I've always kind of felt like I've lived life in a bubble. Almost in the spot, I grew up as a pastor's kid. And so that meant that everybody was always looking at me. I always felt, and out of that, I felt the need to be perfect. Which meant that every time I would fail, there was great shame that came with that. And that followed me all the way into my adult life. That I hated failure so much that when I would fail or disappoint somebody, I could literally feel it in my body. Like when I would fail, when I'd fall short, when I'd make a mistake, when I wouldn't meet the mark, like I'd get a knot in my stomach. My chest would get tight. I'd feel the lump in my throat. It was a trigger for me. The way that this plays out in my home is the other day, my wife said, hey babe, um, did you pay the light bill? And it wasn't late yet. She was just asking me, did you pay the light bill? And my res- because I realized in my head that I hadn't done it, I took it as, well, I'm a failure because I forgot. So instead of me just going, no, I haven't paid it. I'll pay it right now. Here's what I said. Why are you always pointing out my faults? <laughs> and she's like, where did that come from? Here's what it did, though. It triggered something in my soul that has been yet to be dealt with. Because it made, when she was just asking me a simple question, it brought me back to feeling like a failure, like I wasn't enough. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So we all have these triggers in our life, so it can be simply by something that somebody says. It can be a certain situation that you find yourself in. And I want you to understand, when you get triggered, it is an indication that there is something still there that has to be dealt with because it's been suppressed for a long time. Those are the ghost lines. Those are the things that are holding us back from really living the way that we ought to. So here's what I've learned. When I get angry easily like that, when I start blame shifting, that something in my soul is being triggered, screaming at me that, hey, Zach, there's something in there that has to be dealt with. So now I've learned, and I, and I caught it right away. I'm going, oh, hold on. That was something, that's, this is my issue, not yours. Thank you for reminding me. Let me move past that. 
You must be aware of your struggles. And here's what I want you to understand. I told the nine o'clock service this, and I think that so long in the church we have done a disjustice to this thought. Because I feel like so many times as Christians we've said, the past is in the past, just forget about it. How many of you know that's impossible? We still remember the things that we've done. And so here's what I want you to understand. When Jesus saves us, we don't abandon the past. We deal with it, we confront it, we look at it, we deal with it, we heal from it, and then we move on. Because if you just abandon it, if you just leave it there, and the past is in the past, it's going to come back to haunt you. Because if you've made 20, 30 years of decisions that you regret and just think that one day you're going to get saved and all of a sudden everything's going to be okay and not deal with those things, you're going to be tormented. Because there's things that you have not dealt with. So this leads me to point three. You have to speak truth to the lies on a daily basis. When those ghost lines come up, when those remnants of the past start to come up, you have to speak truth to the lies. So here's what I want you to ask yourself today. Have you ever stopped to truly think about what God thinks about you? Not what others think about you, not what your own opinion is about you, but what does God think about you? Who does he say that you really are? Because at the end of the day, that is the thing that really matters, isn't it? If you really want to get past your past, you have to know what God says about you. Because according to John 1.12, it says that you are a child of God. Now, I don't think that we realize how deep that is. How many parents in here? How many of you would do apps, like if somebody took your child, how many of you would just say, you're going to spend a few days, maybe the rest of your life in jail, go to go find that person? Like I'm raising every, like somebody's going to die. You know what I mean? There is this thing inside of you, this innate thing as a parent that says, I love this human being so much, regardless of how much they drive me crazy, I will do anything for them. My wife was reading something to me last night. She, it was hilarious. She said, um, she said, oh, look at this thing that I found. And so I read it, and it's this person that says, man, everybody says that the baby stage is the easiest stage, but it's a lie. And it's a lie because babies will cuddle with you. They sleep well. They'll drink a bottle. She said the, the worst stage is toddlers because they're savages and they don't care. <laughs> so this morning, we, Tim was, he was in our room, my three-year-old, and uh, at 5.30 going, ah! I turned over my bed to, to my wife and I said, savage. <laughs> but, and, and here's the truth. It does not matter how much your child will drive you nuts, how many mistakes they will make. As a parent, you will go out of your way to love them, to provide for them. Why? Because there is just something in you that is connected to them. That's how God feels about you. So when you have circumstances going awry in your life and you're going, why is God doing this? He will rearrange the circumstances of your life to grab your attention, to pull you back home because he loves you that much. You got to understand like you are a child of God. It also says in John 15, 15, that you are a friend of God. Think about that. Like the magnitude of, like the same God that created everything that we see, who placed stars in the sky and planets in motion and created everything that exists, wants to be our friend. 
In Romans 3.23, it says that you have been redeemed. Like, this, is, this is crazy to think about. Like Every wrong thing that you have ever done, God says, I love you so much and I will forgive you. Like God is not the God of a second chance. He's the God of the next chance over and over and over and over. And that's crazy when we think about that because in human terms, that doesn't really register with us, does it? You burn me, guess what? I burn you back. (laughs) You betray me, guess what? I'll betray you. That's not how God's kingdom works. You betray me, I'll continue to pursue you. You stab me in the back, guess what? I'm still coming for you because you are a child. The only way that you're going to get past your past is to recognize what God actually thinks, thinks about you. Here's what I want you to understand. You are not who other people say you are. You are who God says you are. And so many of us live our lives for the approval of other people. I said this at the nine o'clock service, but the quickest way to forget who you are and trigger the lies that you believe is to spend your life on social media. I am absolutely convinced that the greatest killer to authentic relationships today is social media. Why? Because social media demands that we live a life of comparison. Because every time you get on, you realize how much their life is awesome and yours sucks. Right? Come on, mom. Let's get real for a moment. Moms, stay-at-home moms. You're looking at everybody else's picture while you're eating like Chef Boyardee, and they're out enjoying whatever they're eating, and you're like, and you're looking at your two-year-old who's barely dressed and stains all over your shirt and going, my life sucks. Right? It's this comparison game. We can look at it and say, oh my gosh, look how much they're enjoying life. Oh, they must make so much money. And they do this and they do that. And you look at your own life and you fail to remember that social media is a facade. It's an illusion. It's everybody's attempt to put their best foot forward, isn't it? Like nobody posts about like, like they don't post about the lowest lows of their life. And if they do, those are usually the people that we block, right? (laughs) Delete. But the ghost lines of your past will never leave because social media is a constant reminder of how much your life sucks. And I just want to caution you today because I've seen this ever within the four years that I've been a pastor here at this church. The greatest threat, and I've seen it in my own life play out, the greatest threat to marriages, to friendships, is social media. And the more that I've regulated it in my life of going, okay, this is the time when I get on and this is the time when I get off, I am so much more healthy. I used to spend my life, the, the moment the alarm would get off, I'd grab my phone, and the first thing you do is what? Open Facebook, open Instagram. And like the first 10 to 15 minutes, I'm like, I'm already depressed and I've only been awake for like 20 minutes, Right? It will kill relationships. And and here's why. I was actually reading an article this past week from a bunch of sociologists, and they were saying this, that one of the reasons it's such a killer to authentic, 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 I'm struggling here, help me, authentic relationships is because of this. Now you walk into a room and you try to start a conversation, and you can't even have a conversation anymore because people already say, yeah, I already saw that on social media. Right? Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Yeah, I read it already. Their dad died. Let's pray for them. All right, let's, let's move on. <laughs> what? 
Like, we don't even, like, people, let's just be honest. I, I don't really wish people happy birthday on Facebook. Sometimes I do. But the only people you do, the only reason, like, you don't remember all those people's birthdays, right? You, all, I, you only wish them happy birthday because you see it on Facebook. Oh, best, better say something. And it deprives us from having these real conversations. So I would just encourage you, especially if you're married, to genuinely evaluate your life and go, how much time should I give this? Because if you're not careful, here's what's going to happen. You're going to look at, oh, look at that couple. They're so cute. Oh, he treats her so well. It's a picture. It's a picture. (laughs) Oh, look how he kisses her. They don't kiss like that. They don't. It's a pose. It's all these things that are going on to project that my life is awesome when in reality they don't even know how to enjoy the moment anymore. Second Timothy, but here's the good news. I'll share some good news. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. So here's what I want you to understand. If you've got the ghost lines coming out, if you've got all the issues of your past bleeding into who you are and you feel like you've blown it and you feel like you've let other people down, here's the best news about Jesus. Even when you are faithless, he says, I'm still coming for you. I'm still coming. And that is the picture of God that you have to have because here's what happens. When we fail, when we give in to the past, here's the picture that most of us have of God. He's angry, he hates me, and he's never going to accept me for what I've done. And so what do we do? We start self-depreciating, we pull back, we start isolating, we remove ourselves from people. We don't want to show up around anybody because we feel like the world is angry at us. So all these three things that I've talked about will not work unless we do this last one. This leads me to point four. You've got to learn to share your story. You've got to learn to share your story. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. It says, And they defeated him, who? The enemy. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What is that saying? They shared their story with other people. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I'm going, well, that's terrifying. Why would I ever share the things that I deeply regret? Listen, here's what I want you to understand this morning. I've said this for a few months now. Not everybody needs to know your story, but somebody does. I'm not saying that you got to go on and like, well, pastor told me to share my story, so I'm just going to go tell everybody. That's not healthy. (laughs) Not everybody needs to know what you've walked through, but some people do. That's why community is so important. Like, you got to have anchors in your life where you can say, hey, I need to share some things with you. Here's where I've blown it. Here's where the enemy is just wreaking havoc on my soul. Here's the lies that I'm believing. Would you help me? Because here's what happens. When you hide, when you don't share your story, you plant seeds of shame. You plant seeds of shame. And this is where you begin to believe every lie about yourself. When you hide, you begin to believe, I'm not enough. I'm a failure. I'm not worthy enough. You start down this spiral of self-depreciation. Shame is the most powerful tool that the enemy has. The reason that Adam and Eve hid in the garden was not necessarily because they sinned. It was because they were full of shame. 
They saw themselves for who they were for the first time and they were disgusted with themselves and they had to go hide. But the most beautiful thing about that story, and I think that we skip over it so many times, is God's walking in the garden and he calls out to them, where are you? Does God know where they are? Absolutely he knows where they are. And he leans down into that story. What does he do? He clothes them. And that's what you have to understand. That is the God that we serve. And the moment that you start to share your story, listen to me, even if your story is still a mess. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when I start sharing my story, I'm tempted to clean it up a little bit. (laughs) It wasn't that bad. But when you share your story, you start getting a piece of your soul back. When you share your story, you start planting seeds of hope. Because every time you confess, you get a piece of your tattered soul back and God begins to restore you. Here's what I want you to understand. It is easy to say God is good. But you will never believe it until until you share your story of how he has been good to you. It's easy to say that. It's a totally different thing when it comes from a deeper place of this is what God's doing in my life. As you share your story with others, God begins to erase the ghost lines of your past. I don't know if you remember, we, we did a series about two months ago called Feel Your Pain. Um, for me, that was just something that I was walking through personally. Like there's some deep things that God was doing in my life. And so part of that was just to share that with you guys. And because here's the truth. Here's what I want you to understand. You are most attracted to other people when they share their weaknesses with you rather than their strength. When they're just like, I'm awesome, killing life right now, living my best life, hashtag best life now. Like that doesn't encourage you at all, Right? When people say, no, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm walking through right now. Here's what God's doing to me. Here's what he's speaking to me. Here's the next step that I know that I need to make, and I'm scared to make it. What does that do for you? That goes, you know what? If they're sharing their story, then so can I. Because here's what I've learned. Oftentimes, God's doing stuff in your life, and your story is not for you to keep. It's for other people. Here's what you got to understand. You can live with scars, but you can't live with wounds. So there's things in your life right now that God wants to look at and say, look, okay, let's put a scar there. It's some history, some things that you've walked through, but let's bandage it up. Let's let it heal. It's going to leave a little scar. You'll remember it, but guess what? It doesn't define you anymore. But The problem is when we live life with these open wounds, these things that we have never dealt with, what does it do? It affects us. It affects us over and over and over again. Many years ago, when I was in high school, I was playing soccer. I was running full, like, dead sprint. It's still beyond me as to why they had this gaping hole in a soccer field. I stepped in, it broke my ankle. And I remember when this happened, there is, like, it's like every single day you feel every movement that your body makes. Ever broke a bone? It's like you feel everything. Every little movement that is there, because it is this open wound that affects everything. That is what your past will do if you don't ever deal with it. And I'm just here to lovingly tell you this morning that God wants to reach into the things that you look at and say, that's God, no, 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 that's just too messy. That's too much. I can't let anybody in there. And God says, if you let me deal with that, 
It'll transform every relationship that you have. It'll transform the way that you view the Father. It'll transform the way that you interact with people. It'll transform your marriage. Listen, if you want a better relationship with your spouse, don't start with your spouse. Start with yourself. That's what most of us want to do, right? We see this all the time in February when we do a marriage series. Oh, man, I'm so glad that we're doing this series. God, please speak to her. (laughs) I just hope they get this. And we miss out on ourselves, right? That's where the arrow is this morning. So let me close with this. Could it be that God brought you here today to finally take a cold, hard look at some things that you've been suppressing, you've been pushing down, and could it be that God wants to release you from those things this morning? Listen, there's things that have happened to us, and it's, it's, it's not going to be dealt with like that. I understand that. But here's what God is calling us to do today. Maybe it doesn't happen like this, and then all of a sudden you're released, and it just lets go. Maybe it does. But here's what God is calling. Can we just jump on the train of, like, starting the journey? Just say, okay, God, you know what? I'm finally willing to open up this part of my life. I'm telling you this from personal experience. There were things in my life for probably 28 years where I looked at and I said, God, you can have every piece of me, but I will never open this part. Never. And there was just a certain intimacy with the Father that I was never able to have because there was a part of my soul that was just completely clammed up and locked up. And I could just imagine the Father looking at me and just saying, listen, if you would just let this go, change everything change absolutely everything parents you understand this with kids don't you I see this all the time especially with my son Peter the boy just loves to eat he's asking for food like it feels like every like minute of every second he's asking for something yesterday we were eating some spaghetti and he's dad can I, can I please be done can I please I said listen if you would just eat all your food I have something for you just eat it all he's crying the whole way through eating the spaghetti sobbing he finishes the spaghetti and realizes he gets ice cream and it's crazy how that's just such a stupid little story but that's what God wants to do for us Some of you right now are looking through certain things in your life and going, this is so painful. This hurts. Why do I have to walk through this? And God says, listen, if you would just dive through this the way that you need to, I have something on the other side that is so much better than you could ever imagine. Like God's dream for your life is a whole lot bigger than what you can think of. He has something for you. And sometimes just walking through the pain of the past, bringing it to the front of the table and going, I got to deal with this. And if you would do that, it would change everything in your relationships. Most importantly, it would change the way that you view God. And then it changes the way that you view everybody else.